This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au um, over the past couple of weeks, we have been studying the way of Jesus, which has been super, super interesting. I've personally found it really applicable to um, like the way that I live my life. And so uh, James Eyre will be continuing this series this week. But before we do that, um, I'm going to read a verse from Matthew 25:31 to 40. But before I do that, if you have a baby, just a quick reminder that we do have creche out the back. So if you want to take them back there, it's just past the female bathrooms and you'll be, see a big sign if you're interested. All right, back to, the, back to the verse. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40, and I'm just reading from the ESV. Follow along. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we, we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in, or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Thanks, Esther. Guys, how are we going? Good. That's good. I was expecting like a little, you guys not good enough, say it again. But you guys killed it. Um, I take that rebuke. Well, like Matt said earlier and like I said as well, my name's James. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you after the gathering. So please come say hello. Um, yeah, like Esther said, we're, we're deep in our series looking at the, the way of Jesus and a big kind of mandate in our church and something that we believe for our church is that we want to be a church that learns to, to love and live like Jesus. It's, it's so easy to just to, to hear information on a Sunday or to hear information at GC on a Wednesday or Sunday or Tuesday, whenever your GC meets, and just kind of it just goes one year out the other. You just go back to your normal life. Um, but the, the big part of my story is I was, I was encapsulated by the life of Jesus. Like I wasn't just hearing the information about what Jesus did for me, but, but who Jesus was and how he lived, that I was like, there's, there's something about this. This isn't just some backwoods, ancient, I don't know, outdated religion. This, there's something relevant to this and something beautiful about this, and there's something about this Jesus character that I want to be more like him. Um, so that was, that was really the front door for me, and I'll be remiss if I didn't just give a shout-out to Easter real quick as the new mission pastor. Easter is coming up. Like, it's not long. This year's kind of blowing through. If you're anything like me, like, it feels like it's still January. Heads up, it's not, right? It's about to be April. Um, but Easter is, it's such a good opportunity to invite people along to church. And like we'll kind of get into today, like, I think our church is hungry. The world is hungry for, for answers. Like the, the world is hungry. Our culture, our city is hungry to know what, what is going on. Like, why is the world the way it is? So I just want to, I just want to encourage you guys 
just, just take a step and invite someone along. Just send them a message, send them a phone call, send us, like, we'll, we'll put the, the, the graphic out this week for um, Easter, like Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Just text out to someone, hey man, I'd love for you to come along. Um, and you'll be surprised by what God, like God can do. So pray about that. Think of people you can be inviting. Um, Esther read out uh, the, that part from Matthew. We're actually going to be just spending time and just soaking in Luke 10. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 10. Maybe we camped out there. That was a mistake, by the way, from Esther. I told her to read that passage just to give you the context. Um, so just, just so you guys know that. Um, but we camped out in Luke 10. I'm going to pray and then we're going to play a bit of a game together. Don't stress out. It's going to be fun. Um, Father God, we thank you that you love us. Father, thank you that you're a God who loves us too much to leave us where we're at. That your word shapes us and changes us. That your word is living and active. And Father, we pray today that as we sit under your word this morning, as we hear from a familiar passage, that you can stir our hearts to be compassionate, caring for the least of these. Stir our heart to to be broken for what breaks your heart, Father, which is injustice and brokenness. Father, give, us, give me the words I need to speak, and Father, we pray, uh, pray that you, you bless our time together. We pray that in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to play a bit of a game. Um, hopefully this works. For Church Online, hey, by the way, Church Online, um, hopefully this pops up on the screen for you. I'm just going to put up an uh, image on the screen. I want you guys to guess. I made it easy, just a heads up. Um, I want you guys to shout out like what kind of cultural thing this is from in 2012. So we're going back to 2012 for this sermon. Simpler times, more relaxed times. Some of you are probably in primary school, which is scary to think about. Some of you maybe just got married or started having kids. Maybe some of you here today, like me, I was in university. Um, so hopefully that comes on the screen. Okay, easy, low ball, come on. What's that from? What is that? 2012. In 2012, what happened in 2012? London Olympics. Thank you. You can shout it out. You can get involved. It's all right. If you're wrong, no, we can't tell who's wrong, so it's okay. So London Olympics. Okay, it's a bit of a dodgy photo, but what is that? The Avengers. Yes, but what movie of the Avengers? The first one. Thank you, right? My people. It's not a photo. No. <laughs> um, so Endgame. Yeah, oh, not Endgame. The first Avengers. Huge cultural moment, right? Change the world. Next photo. What's that? Gangnam Style. I thought, should I do it on stage? I'm not going to do it on stage. That's a bit much. No, no, no. I forgot. My leg's sore. My leg's sore. Um, yeah, that was huge, right? That was, I think it was like one of the first videos, apart from Justin Bieber's baby, to get one billion views. That was massive. Really kind of birthed K-pop into the Western context for a lot of people. So that was a big cultural moment. So the next one, this is a bit more, bit more niche, a bit of a deep cut. Can anyone remember? Sorry? 2012, Tim, yeah. The Mayan calendar was end. I, I think, like, I don't know the story. I think the Mayan calendar was like coming to an end. So some, for some reason, people were like, the world's going to end, this is it. It was like Y2K part two. People got really fired up. Turned out it didn't happen. Um, that was a big thing, 2012, towards the end of 2012. How about the next one? Thoughts? Joseph Coney. Joseph Coney. Thank you. Coney 2012. That's the last one, by the way. Who remembers Coney 2012? Put your hand up. Be honest. Safe space. 
put your hand up if you were super hyped. Maybe you gave, I gave. I, I got the wristband somewhere at home. few of us. Um, Kanye 2012 was a, a viral social justice campaign. Absolutely huge. Um, it, it was kind of focused on, someone shouted out before, like Joseph Kony, who was, or still is, a radical warlord um, in Uganda. And his name's Joseph Kony, and he was just committing all these war crimes. And no one knew about him. Outside, like, I kind of select like, few of you were kind of tapped into that type of thing. Like, he wasn't big, his name wasn't known. And then in 2012, I think it was March 2012, May 2012, this video came out. Invisible Children put a video out. It's a documentary, it was about 20 minutes long, and it just blew up. Like hundreds of millions of views. That was 115 million views in like the first week. This is 2012, right? That's, that's crazy YouTube numbers. Someone drops a song now, they get that pretty quickly. But 2012, 115 million views was massive. It was the most watched video on the platform at the time. Like, for many of us in this room, it was, it was kind of the first touch of, of social justice that we got. I remember watching that video and being like, what, there's, I'm from the Shire classic, but I was like, there's a bigger world out there, right? <laughs> like, and I was at university, like I said at the time, I was studying media and communications, and like Joseph Coney, this was like the, Coney 2012 was like the, the case study. It was like how to do viral marketing one-on-one. That's what it did. Like it, it infiltrated YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. It was just all over the place. And so to, um, and like, and it kind of gave birth to the rise of something called slacktivism. Have you guys ever heard of slacktivism? Slacktivism is the act of engaging with a social justice cause through the means of social media, whether that's through liking a post, hashtagging something, sharing something, changing a profile picture, or signing an online petition. That, that's what slacktivism is. And while these things aren't bad, and they, they do help raise awareness, I'm a product of that. I found out about Joseph Coney because of the social media campaign. But it often ends just with a click. Liking a post. Sharing something. Changing your profile picture. And sociologists have, have discussed slacktivism and why it's so popular. Like, what is it that so many people want to engage with it in? And this isn't just 2012. We saw this with the Black Lives Matter movement. We've seen this with atrocities around the world at the moment. And they say it's popular because it's, it's what they call a low-risk form of justice. It doesn't require us leaving our computer desk. <clears throat> it doesn't really cost much. Like, relationally, it doesn't cost much socially, it doesn't cost much um, financially. It's low stakes doesn't really require a sacrifice from ourselves. And while this is a very kind of black and white conclusion that sociologists have come up with, there's some truth there. Like, while there are great benefits to slacktivism, like it just it, it falls a bit short, or very short. And it's not a biblical image of what justice is. And you don't have to look far. Well, like, like, Let's talk about our own hearts for a second. Like, we feel this, right? Like, we, we feel when there's injustice. Like, we, we want to see change. Like, you don't have to look far around the world at the moment. Like, we see the things in Europe at the moment. With Ukraine, the invasion. We see the millions of refugees 
They've been displaced. I remember here, I've read stories, um, I think in the New York Times, just a family that's just been displaced. And they're one of millions. That's just a personalised story of just the heartache, not seeing your parents again, separation. We've, we've seen, um, <laughs> we saw in Afghanistan last year. It's not in the media anymore, so sometimes it falls to the back, like it falls out of our heads, but that's still going on. That's still an injustice that's happening in the world at the moment. We heard about, um, from our missionaries, Ruth and Scott, uh, a few weeks ago, about just the sex trafficking that's happening in Southeast Asia, particularly in the Philippines. Today, that's happening, right now. Well, and <laughs> we have to look to our own country. I was, I was doing a bit of research for this sermon, and I was looking about just the... The impact that poverty has in Australia, and I was mind-blown, right? Just looking at our own country, we see that 3.2 million people in Australia, which is 13.6 of the population at the moment, live below the poverty line. 13.6%. That's millions of people. And this is from 2020. I can only imagine that COVID had a big impact on this. We see that 774,000 children under the age of 15, so that's what they classify as under the age of 15, this is a government study by the way, that 17.7% of children in Australia live below the poverty line. In our own city we see this issue, in our own backyard. We had the church in the metro last week. Walking from, my, from the metro to my car, you just see the streets, just literally with people sleeping rough. Walk down King Street, we see injustice. We see people who, that passage from Matthew of Demons, the least of these, who need love. We've seen people displaced from the recent floods, bushfires a couple of years ago, um, and now COVID. Like, just imagine the, the toll that COVID has taken. We think it's taken a massive toll on us, which it has. But a lot of these people who are already finding stuff really hard, the, the, the toll it's taken, it should, it should break our hearts. And if you're like me, you think, like, what can we do? Like, these problems just seem so big, which they are. So complex, which they are. Like, what, what can we do? What can we do beyond ga- engaging online? How do I not fall into just the, the slacktivism way of doing justice? That's a great question. And that's all we have today, thankfully. Like, thankfully, through Jesus' life and teaching, we, we get a better vision of what justice is. We get a better vision for what it looks like to care for the least of these. We get a better vision for, what, or for how we, as God's people, can be agents of love and generosity and compassion in our, in our world, in our country, in our city, in our workplaces. We see what it looks like to love our neighbour. And throughout the scriptures, and particularly through the life of Jesus, we see a God who is deeply, who deeply cares about the injustice in the world, whose heart breaks at the injustice in the world. We see a God that pushes back against the kind of false dichotomy that we see, where it's like if you, if you engage in social justice, if you, if you care for the poor, you must be woke, or you must align with a certain political party or a certain demographic. And the Bible says that's not, that's not the category that we look through. Generous justice transcends 
political party, the political spectrum, it transcends what culture says. And we see that generous justice comes from a transformed life. A life that has been so impacted by the love of God. It's just it's beyond, it's, it's beyond the hype, it's beyond the clout, it's beyond the likes on Instagram or Facebook and you share something. Like it meets people where they're at and it shows them the compassion and the love and the generosity of our God. So if you have a Bible with your phone, like I said, Luke 10 to we're camping out. It's a familiar story of the Good Samaritan, right? We've probably heard it before. And we see that Jesus kind of lays out um, what it means to love our neighbour and practice generous justice. And we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at the, the motivator for justice, and we're going to look at the, the method of justice. Right? Two things, super simple. If you like outlines like I do, that's it. There it is for you. Um, before we get into the method of, pra- of, of practicing justice, we need to know the motivator. Like we need to know the heart behind it. So we don't just kind of fall into doing things for the sake of it. Because it's in the motivation that we of why we practice justice, that we see the beauty and the uniqueness of the way of Jesus. Look at Luke 10 with me, Luke 10, 25. It says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, him being Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus had just been kind of speaking about what it means to follow him. Like He's just been telling his disciples, the 72 but what's it look like to follow him? Like, what's it mean to, to practice the way of Jesus? To take up your cross and follow him? When a lawyer stands up and interrupts uh, interrupt Jesus mid-teach and asks him a question, which is every preacher's worst nightmare, right? If someone's, like, my anxiety would go through the roof. But I'm not Jesus. Jesus is better. Um, and it's important to know here that the, the lawyer that it's speaking of, when I said lawyer, we, we think suits, right? We think corporate lawyer, criminal lawyer, that's not what it's talking about. The lawyer that this passage is talking about is a person who was a religious teacher, by and large. Someone who knew the religious law well. They knew the ins and outs of the Old Testament. They likely probably could have recited the, five, uh, the first five books of the Bible by heart, if not the whole of the Old Testament. They would have knew, like, known the, the ins and outs and nuances of the law. And here he is, he's standing up, and he's asking Jesus a question. He's hearing Jesus teach about what it means to follow him. And he's like, I need to, ask, I, I need to step in here. And he asked Jesus the question, not of how do I live my life, but how do I find eternal life? So he's asking the question, how do I live my life, but how do I find eternal life? Which is a fair question, right? Like he's here... This lawyer is hearing Jesus teach his countercultural things what he knows. And he's asking, how do I find life? I asked that question 12 years ago when I became a Christian. And it changed my life. The chances are there's people here in this room today who are, who are asking that question. Like, what, is, like, what is this way? How do I inherit eternal life? How do I find life in Jesus? So it's, it's a great question. It's a fair question. And the heart of that question is the primary motivator for why we practice generous justice. And it's really the primary motivator for why we do anything that we've heard in the series so far, which is that we've been justified by Jesus. Like the reason the New Testament gives for us to be practicing generous justice is because we have been justified by faith. 
we have received justice in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we put our, our faith in him. We are made righteous. We are made justified. This is what makes the way of Jesus so unique and so countercultural, not just in the first century, but today. For our city, for, for Sydney in, 21st, in the 21st century, it's the idea that being justified isn't earned. There isn't some sort of KPI that you need to reach. Like we're in our secular society, we're ingrained. You've got to hit those KPIs. You want that bonus? You want acceptance by your boss? Get that KPI. But the gospel, what Jesus says, is, is so different. It's even different to other religions. right? In other religions, they believe that you live for God, he'll accept and bless you. Where Christianity says, because of Jesus, when we put our faith in him, God accepts and blesses us, therefore go live for God. See the distinction? We already have love and acceptance in Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. And Tim Keller has this great quote. I think I literally use it in every sermon. Um, I don't know what that means about me. I think I'm preaching to myself. But he says that while we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed, yet at the same time we are more accepted and loved in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. And that's the heart of the gospel. It's a hard justification is that we don't have to, we don't do generous justice so God loves us. Because God loves us, we do generous justice. And the lawyer here, he's looking for that checklist. He's an he's A-type personality. He wants that checklist on his phone. I, don't, I, I have Notion, which is like an app. I have checklists. I, I have tasks to be done. I go through the checklist. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for that checklist. He's looking for the boxes to tick that will get him salvation and eternal life. But we see throughout Jesus' teaching and the Gospels that we can't earn it. It's, it's, it's a free gift from God. But it should radically transform our lives and how we view justice. A, a heart that has been transformed by grace is a heart that breaks at the side of justice or injustice. A transformed heart sees the oppressed lifted out from oppression. It sees that those who are the oppressors be brought to justice. I'll, I'll go as far to say that if you, if you don't have a heart that breaks for injustice, if you don't have a heart that breaks for the least of these, there's a, there's a good chance that you haven't fully understood the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is a God who is just and loving and compassionate. And we see this in Matthew 25 that Esther read out earlier, where Jesus says, how you care for the least of these shows if you truly understood the gospel. That's the bottom line of what he's saying. And in that same passage, Jesus shows that the heart of the Christian faith is a relationship with him. It shows itself in how we love, how he, how he shows sacrificial care for other people. It's a love that's shown in how we care for the least of these, which will unpack what that looks like in a minute. So the first motivator for generous justice is how we've been justified ourselves, how we received God's love and justice ourselves, so therefore we go out and we show God's love, justice, and compassion to other people. And the second motivator is, so what, throughout history it's been called the Omega Day. To say it out loud, say it to me, the Omega Day. It's fun to say. Come on, a bit louder, come on. There you go, the Omega Day. I, love, I just love saying the word, the Omega Day. Um, the Omega Day is 
It's a fancy word, but it's the idea that all of humanity, every person that's ever been created and lived on the earth, has been made in the image of God. And we see this in Genesis um, chapter 1, verse 26, that God made humanity in his image. He, he called it good. He made us distinct from the rest of creation, which means that we have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. As people who've been made in the image of God, we have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. That's for all people. That's whether you've put your faith in Jesus or not. We all have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. And we see this play out in Luke 10 with the question from the lawyer where he says, who is my neighbor? He's just recited Jesus. Jesus goes, ask him about the great commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your Lord your God. And he, like, he's, he's unpacking, like, what is, who's my neighbor? Who do I love? What does it actually look like to love my neighbor? Is it Colin next door? That's my neighbor, by the way. Right? Is it the person below me in the apartment complex? Is that an annoying dog that barks next door in the townhouse? Like, who, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells a story. And this one's for free. This is a fun fact. Whenever Jesus tells a story in response to a question, he's about to do some kind of soul surgery. Like he's about to get deep. He's about to get to the soul. So look at verses 30 to 31 with me. Jesus said, or Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, or that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here Jesus is telling a story of a, what we presume is a Jewish man who was walking down the street, and he, he, like, like walking down his path, and he gets rolled. He gets beaten. And this isn't like someone like, at the train station rolling you for your iPhone. Like this guy was beaten, like the text says, he was half dead. Like this is a brutal attack. A brutal act of injustice. And we see kind of two religious men walk past. We see a priest and a Levite. In modern times, think about it this way. It's like an Anglican minister and a Pentecostal walking down the street. In the inner west, they're walking down an alley and they see a guy being up on the ground. And they just walk past him. That's, that's the kind of imagery that Jesus is provoking to his audience. And that fires us up a bit. Right? Well, it should. Like if you saw... Matt or James Wong walk past someone outside Anchor Church, beaten on the grounds. It's not good, right? Like there's a bit of injustice that's going on there. And we don't see why. Like, we don't see why they walked past. Like, we can presume, like, for the priest at least, like, back then, like, they, they might have thought the man was dead. To touch a dead body for the priest would have been breaking religious law. So for him, he's, he's trying to be obedient in his eyes. Or maybe they were just scared. Like this road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was known as like a hotspot. Like it was that one train station type thing where you're like, you've got to be careful here. Right? It was, it was known. So maybe they, they were just scared. Maybe they were just like, I'm not dealing with this. Uh, this guy's dead. I don't want to die too. I'm just going to keep going. Who knows? Or maybe, maybe they just didn't bother. Maybe they, they didn't care. No one's going to see this. Like, no one's going to, I'm not going to get any praise for this. No one's going to give me a thumbs up or a like. No one's going to think I'm culturally with it. I might just keep going. 
I just kept walking past. Just go about my day. I'm too busy for this. I've got a meeting. This guy will be fine. Someone else will deal with this. Right? Maybe, maybe that's how they're thinking. The passage doesn't say, but we see what happened next in Jesus' story. It shook the audience. Right? Verse 33 it says, But a Samaritan, a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was. He saw him, the man on the ground, and he had compassion. Like the fact that a, like a Samaritan man, a Samaritan man, not a priest, not a Levite, stood and showed compassion on this man is nuts to the first century audience. Like they were seen as a lower class of people. You don't associate with them. They, they sit to themselves, they're lower class, they're different. And yet here we see the Samaritan looking past a man's race. He looked past the man's cultural background, political backgrounds, probably what he was wearing, whatever it looked like. He looked past all that and he saw the man and he showed compassion. He saw a man who was on the ground, who was made in the image of God, who had inherent dignity, value and worth and he just showed compassion. The Omega Day, people being made in the image of God, it motivates us to be practicing generous justice. The Omega Day transcends gender, transcends cultural, racial, political, economic boundaries, and brings everyone to the equal footing before God. It endows everyone with intrinsic God-given value, dignity, and worth from the womb to the grave. And like it was for the the Samaritan in this story, it's, it's imperative for us to, to grasp the idea that everyone is made in the image of God. Like let, it, let it shape and motivate how we interact and how we practice generous justice. Like when you walk past the person sleeping rough, know that that's a person who is loved by God, who is made in his image and has intrinsic dignity, value and worth. They're not just backgrounds. They're not a character and we're the, we're the main protagonist and we're just kind of going about our day. But these are people that God has put in our place, in our way to, to love and care and show compassion. So the motivators for practicing justice is our own justification and people who are made in the image of God. So, but what does it look like? like what, what do the methods of justice look like? What does it look like to actually practice this? I love that you asked that question because that's, that's what we're doing next. So that's what we see. This is the kind of second part. It's, it's a method to justice. And we see what the, the Samaritan did in verse 34 to 35. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring an oil, on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take, him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I see, like we see here that out of compassion, the Samaritan provided friendship. He provided advocacy. He provided emergency medical treatment. Transportation, threw him on his, his animal. A costly financial sacrifice. Like he, he, two denarii is not cheap. That's not two dollars. Like he, he paid the man's medical bills. And he even 
provided a follow-up visit. The Samaritan man provided just completely holistic care for the least of these. He treated him like a human being who was made in the image of God. He was obviously on his way to somewhere, right? He he interrupted his busy schedule. Like he, that road, you know, it's not a stroll, right? It's not you're not listening to a podcast, you're, going for, you're trying to get your 30 minutes up on your Apple Watch. Like this is like, he's on a mission. He's going somewhere. This is dangerous. He interrupts his schedule to, to show compassion to this person, to care for them, to love them. He risks his own safety. Like I said earlier, to stop on that road, it's high risk. You see someone beaten on the ground, bloody, bleeding, muddy. Like you know something's happening. Something's happened. Something's up. To, to stop is, is a great personal risk to him. And he would have got dirty. Like I said, like the guy was bloody, muddy. Like he, he would have, to get personal, to care for someone, to pick them up and put them on your horse or your donkey, whatever it was. Like that would have gotten you dirty. But at that time, like, he was helping a man of, of different race and social class. Like, that's profound, even for our time. Like, this is a stunning example of what it looks like to live and love like Jesus. Because we saw Jesus himself do this, right? This isn't just, Jesus doesn't teach about it. He, he practiced it. We saw Jesus care for the least of these. He, he talked to the bleeding woman who society viewed as unclean, pushed to the side. Jesus saw her, loved her, spent time with her. We saw Jesus speak to those who were struggling, to the woman at the well. We saw Jesus heal the leper. He spent time with the poor. He spent time with those who were involved in the sex industry. He healed people. He rose children from the dead, <clears throat> which at the time, like, children weren't, like, we, we elevate children to be like, which they are, but like, super precious Rough them up and bubble wrap type thing. But like in first century, you know, kids were like second class citizens. I like, don't care about kids. They don't, what do they provide? They don't do labor. They don't make money. So Jesus, when he says like, the children come to me, that's massive. That's huge. Jesus raising up children, that's, that's profound. And it shows that he, he cared for the least of these. He showed compassion to people whose society viewed as different or outcast. Jesus preached and demonstrated generous justice. As people want to learn, like us, as people who want to learn to live and love like Jesus, like Jesus, his example. But what does it look like for us? And I've got, I've got two practices. There, I had like so many, right? And I actually cut one out yesterday. So if you want to find out what it was, hit me up after. Um, but I've got two practices, right? And the first one is, is prayer. Generous justice starts with prayer. And it starts with us on our knees, praying to God that justice will be done. When we see injustice around the world, when you, when you watch the news and you see what's happening in Europe and you think, like, what can I do? You pray. When you see the atrocities that happen and the damage that's happened in the Middle East or in Southeast Asia or in our own backyard and you think, what can I do apart from run for office or something? The answer is pray. Like, I think sometimes we hear that and we think that's a bit of a cop-out, right? Like, it's a classic, like, how do you apply something? Pray, Bible, like, you know what I mean? If you did youth group, that's what, that's what you always fell to. But 
<laughs> and I think part of the reason is, is because when something big happens, some atrocity happens around the world, what we see happen is kind of cultural leaders or political leaders or whatever, they tweet thoughts and prayers. Like thoughts and prayers for the bushfires or thoughts and prayers for Ukraine or thoughts, and, you know what I mean? Which this, I'm not doubt that there's genuineness there, but we kind of get a bit jaded. We think that's not enough, you know what I mean? Like, how about you do something? But, <laughs> like we see, like, there's, there's power to that. It's actually the best thing we can do. Like, the reality is prayer is the most powerful thing we can do. As, as followers of Jesus, we believe that when we come before God and we pray, like when we, when we come before our Father, when we come before the throne room, on our knees and we pray, like God changes realities. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. Like we, we pray for individual healing for people. We pray for societal healing for people in our society. Like we pray for justice to be done. We pray for our enemies. We, we pray for the least of these. Like we, we pray the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.10 when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. Like when I, when I feel, like for me personally, like when I see things happen on the news, right, and I pray, I'm like, God, just come back. <laughs> like, Jesus, come back. Like, there's a day coming where that, all, that's gonna be, all the injustice is going to be made right. Justice will be done. I pray for healing. I pray for transformation for, for leaders who are doing horrible things. I want a testimony to God's power. We saw in the Old Testament... Prayer is, is powerful and effective. Another reason we pray is, and it's on the top of the list of practices, because like, we're in a spiritual battle. Like, injustices that happen around the world, it's part of a greater spiritual battle. We see this in Ephesians 6. It won't be on the screen. I've got to put it up. But it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That don't, don't buy the lie of the enemy that the injustices that are happening around the world, the injustices that are happening around our backyard, they're not meant to be. And it's part of a greater spiritual battle that we're fighting. And when, when we get on our knees and pray, we talked about this in GC, we're doing the prayer course, and just the language, like we're taking back ground. Do you, do you view prayer as that? That prayer is actually a tool that's powerful and effective. Because that's, <laughs> that's the best tool we have for social justice. When we feel helpless, when, when there's a problem that's just too big for us to solve, we can take knowing that our God's far bigger than that. That our God is all-knowing and all-powerful, that he's in control of everything. And that when we pray to him, he listens. And prayers change realities. And we, like I said, we, we pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for his will to be done. We pray for justice to be done. And we can take comfort knowing that that's coming one day. That prayer is the most powerful tool that we have when it comes to generous justice. And the second thing is, so we have prayer, and the second one is, is act, broad, right? But just do, right? Like what, what's the method that we can do for generous justice? Just do it. Just 
just go out and do it. And we see like this um, in Job, right? Job talks about in Job 29. He talks about, I put on righteousness as my clothing, justice as my robe and my turban. I'm going to read that again for you guys. Job says, I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. Like what, what Job is talking about here is it's, it's an all-of-life posture. That practicing justice is an all-of-life thing. Like you, you get up in the morning and you clothe it. You put it on. You, you consciously think, I'm going to be aware of the injustices and I'm going to do what I can with the things that are in my hands and the resources that I have to love people, to care for them, to, to show compassion to the least of these. Like in the same way that we put on clothes every day, well, hopefully we put on clothes every day, maybe not during lockdown, but now that lockdown's over, we put on clothes every day, you, you clothe yourself in the same way that you do that. When you put your clothes on in the morning, just think I'm clothing myself with generous justice. I'm going to be conscious about what... I'm doing about my day, how I'm looking out for the least of these, how I'm caring for people, how I'm praying for people. And Job is saying that it should be something that we should always be in our minds. It's not just something that we care about when something big's happening or something that we see on the news, but it's just something that we're conscious of in everyday life. It's caring about everyday issues of injustice, not just the things that are PC and trendy. Right? Like as followers of Jesus, we care about issues that aren't PC. Like we, we care about abortion. We care about euthanasia. Right? We don't just pick and choose to make life easier. Like it's uncomfortable. It's costly. Right? We, we care about, as, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to seek to practice the way of Jesus, we care about the things that God cares about. It's being aware of the things that our companies do. If you work for a corporation, it's being aware. Like, hey, what, how's my company resourcing this? Is my company exploiting things or people? And it's, it's asking the question. Hey, how can, I, how can I be an advocate for justice in this workplace? How can I be a voice for the least of these in this workplace? Uh, being a people of justice, of generous justice, it's an all-of-life posture. It's something that we clothe ourselves with. When you get up in the morning and you put your clothes on, just think to yourself, I'm clothing myself with justice. I'm going to be a person of justice in the areas that I, I work today, in the spheres that I operate in, in the conversations that I have. I'm going to wrap up our time together by just sharing a couple of stories, right? Because it, one of the great things about prepping the sermon is the examples that I thought, hey, what does this look like? Are examples that we're doing, right? These are things that we do already, corporately as a church. So I just want to start by sharing a story of last year um, with Lovely. So Scott and Ruth, who are, I mentioned them before, our missionaries, um, they posted a post on our internal Facebook page. So we have an Anchor Family page. Um, and they shared about Lovely, who is one of the part of a family, she's a young girl, I think she was like early teens um, in the Philippines, one of the pastor's kids, who had cancer, who was really struggling with cancer, she was really unwell, the medical system, really expensive over there, the, the hospital that she was in wasn't the best, and they put a call out, 
They said, hey, here's an area that our church can love this person. If you have the means, please pray for her. And if you have the means, please, please give. And I was even blown away by this this week because I was going back through the Facebook post and just seeing our churches rally around Lovely. It was phenomenal. And as a church, we raised up to $7,500 for Lovely. $7,500 above what we're already giving. Just a generosity for someone that we didn't even know. $7,500 to bless her and her family during a profoundly difficult time. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Lovely lost her battle with cancer towards September last year. But Ruth and Scott shared this message after she passed away. They said this. They said, sadly, Lovely passed away today. We and her family are deeply thankful to Anchor Church for its love and generosity. The donations made have made a lasting impact on the family and have been an internal investment for Lovely's family, who are very poor. You, you, oh, sorry, who are very poor, will not have any debt as a result to Anchor's generosity. That is nuts. No debt from the medical bills had to be paid for a family that's grieving. And she goes, but greater than this is the fact that God used you guys to answer their cries for help and prayers. What you did for Lovely and her family, who were the least of these, you did for Christ. Thank you. That's crazy. That is costly, generous sacrifice, generous generosity. And you, you've made a lasting impact on a family who you'll never meet, most likely. You don't know. You're on a Facebook post. But you, you stepped out and you bless that family through prayers and through holistic care. And now a family doesn't have to deal with debt. That's crazy. You lifted a family out of medical debt. Another story is, is Ali last year. Um, obviously, with the, the horrible things that happened in Afghanistan, with the fall of Afghanistan, um, there's a lot of refugees. And Brad and Catherine Kahneman, who Matt mentioned earlier, who are on staff here, they, they shared a post on Facebook about a connection that they had through um, Catherine's brother to Ali and his family. So Ali was, he was working in Sydney. He was um, over here providing for his family. So he's from Afghanistan. He was providing for his family. He was working in Australia to find a better life for them to eventually help them find a way over to, to help them not be in poverty over there. Massive sacrifice on his behalf. And then the fall of Afghanistan happened where people were dying. People were... Daunt- I read the post earlier. You can find it on our Facebook where... The Taliban were going around door knocking, looking for people who were trying to abandon Afghanistan at the time. And Ali was worried that when they got to his family's house and they saw that he wasn't there anymore, that they would kill him. So Catherine reached out to our our church family and she just asked, just pray. Just pray that God will provide a way for them to get out of there and get safely to Australia to be with their dad. And so we prayed, she shared updates, got to the point where, to cut a long story short, the mum was separated from the kids, just horrible situation that we could not possibly imagine. But it got to the point where they got to Australia. Through our prayers, some of us gave financially, 
to help them settle here. They got to Australia and us as a church family provided for them financially, through prayers, holistically, to help their kids settle into Australia. But that, that is us caring for a family once again who is deemed as the least of these. People who don't, probably don't share the same religion we do, who don't look like us, who don't know us, different economic backgrounds, different social backgrounds. I'm sure we had different political views in some things, but because of the Omega Day, because of the justice that we've received and the call that God and Jesus put in our lives to, to show compassion and generous justice, you guys did it. And it's such a testimony that prayer changes realities. I remember reading that post. I'll be honest with you. I read that post when Catherine first posted it. And I was like, this is bad. This is going to take a miracle for them to get out of there. And God is the God of miracles and He delivered. Another thing is that as a church, we're, we partner with Compassion, who Compassion's whole goal is to lift children out of poverty in Jesus' name. We love Compassion. And we have, last time I checked, was about 150 Compassion kids sponsored through Anchor Church. That's 150 kids that we are loving and we are helping lift out of poverty and caring for them. Again, I hope, maybe you do. Hopefully you do. I know stories that people do, but you, you probably will never meet them. Apart from writing to them, and that's a reminder to write to your sponsor kids. Apart from writing to them, like you don't really have much connection. But you are caring for the least of these. And I, I want to put a challenge out to us as a church. Imagine if every single person who called Anchor Church home those tuning in online, those in the room, those who can't make it today, imagine if all of us sponsored a kid through compassion. Yeah, imagine the impact that we could have. Another thing is the Salvation Army. Like we did it last year, we've done it for the past couple of years, but last year we did like a toy drive for kids who don't have the means to get toys at Christmas. The parents, for various reasons, can't provide in that way. And you guys gave toys. I remember being there at Thanksgiving Sunday and seeing people bring toys in, putting them at the tree, and it's amazing. But what, what can we do? Like what, what, what are some of the things that we can, we can step into? And there's a couple of things. First, if you know of an area of justice in our city that we can, uh, an organization or a team, whatever it looks like that we can partner with, please let us know. Email me, email Matt. Like we want to be aware about the things that are happening in our city. But a big thing is, in your gospel communities, you guys can be sharing with one another areas of justice in the city that you know that you can step into as a GC. Like as a GC, pick a, pick a family that you can bless that you know is just having it rough. I know Southwest last year, or beginning of this year, they they bought school bags and filled them with things for kids in the area that they knew need them. Kids who are families with the least of these that need that love and compassion. Maybe a GC does that. Maybe it's you know of a neighbour who they lost their job and they're finding it really hard at the moment. Maybe it's someone on the street that you walk past every day to the office building who's always there, their bed's there. Just talk to them like a person who's made of the image of God, has intrinsic value, dignity, and worth. Ask their story. Ask how you can love them. Buy them a sandwich. Buy them a coffee. 
Maybe take them to lunch. It might be a bit uncomfortable, but it's what Jesus did. He, he sat with people, had meals with people that would, he didn't know, that were different to him. But thinking of your GC, pray as a GC, pray for you personally. What are some practical ways that I can be practicing generous justice? Speak to us about how we as a church family can be engaged with that, with the means that we have in the time that we have um, at this moment in history, how we can be loving people. But like Anchor Church, like let's, let's be a church that, that clothes ourselves in righteousness. Let's be a church that is looking at where we can practice generous justice. Let's be a church that shows the compassion and love of Jesus we received ourselves to other people. Let's be a people that are just praying for God's kingdom to come. Like let's be a people that is just, just putting our hand to the plow and just having a crack at trying to love people and showing the love of Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to pray that we do that now as we finish up. Father, we thank you that you're a God who cares, that you're a God who cares about every single person on earth. Father, we thank you that you're a God who is intimately involved in a God of the details. And Father, thank you that you're a God who your heart breaks at the injustice in the world. Father, I pray for us as a church family, I pray for us as individuals that we can be seeking to practice justice that we can be, as we seek to, to live and love like you, Jesus, that you can just, by your spirit, just, just give us discernment and insight how to do that well. Father, we thank you for the stories of, of Lovely and, and Ali and Compassion and, and Salvation Army and all the stories of just the ways that you've used our church family just to, just to impact the lives of people. Father, we pray for more of that. And Father, we pray that as, as we do that, that people don't just look at us and see us for us, but they look at us and see you, that we can be an extension and a demonstration of the gospel in action. And Father, we pray for all these things for your glory and in the beautiful name of Jesus. And all the God's people said, Amen.